All right, let's get into God's Word. We are in Daniel chapter 12. This is the final message in our series in Daniel. And uh, I want us to start kind of like with this thought. Uh, Sometimes um, life can be so challenging, and it isn't so much that we might have one hard thing coming at us, but isn't this true, that sometimes... Trials, challenges, difficulties compound on top of one another, and we might have multiple things coming at us at the same time. And you might say when that's happening, because it just looks like everything you're doing is hard, you might say at a time like that, you know what I need right now? I just need a win. I just need one win because it seems like everything else in my life isn't going the way I want it to go. Everything else just seems so hard. I need something. I need one thing to work. I need a win right now. And uh, what we need to hear from this passage and what we have been hearing throughout uh, the book of Daniel really is that the win has already been won. The win has already been won, and the win is still coming. It's both of those things, and this message is going to conclude our series. The series was called, is called Resolved, Living for Christ, when you're the only one who is. And the reason why we can be resolved as the followers of Jesus Christ is really answered in this chapter. It's because God has won. It's because the angel said, and we're going to see this right at the very end of the chapter, the angel said, you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. And God is firmly in control. And that final day is coming. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, listen, the great news is you're going to be there. You're going to be there. And that assurance is what we need to push through whatever issue or issues or hardships that we're facing. We live in this broken, harsh, godless, sin-sickened world. And we need something to motivate us to be resolved, even when it looks like everything around us is going wrong, even when it seems like there's no wins to be had. Don't believe it. Because the final, here's what we're going to see in this chapter, the final triumph is coming for those who believe in Christ. The final triumph is coming for those who believe in Christ. That's Daniel 12. Let's read it together and then I'm going to pray for us. Daniel 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? 
And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the Uh, 1,335 days, but go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Let's pray together. Father, we would um, confess right off the top here that we know that you've won the victory, but sometimes it's really hard to see the finish line. And Sometimes that's because we've fallen into a pit or it's around the corner or there's a mountain in the way. There are people chirping at us and distracting us and just so many obstacles to us really seeing and sometimes even believing that there's a finish line and a victory ahead for us. And so God, I pray as we look at Daniel 12 that you would again encourage us and give us a glimpse of what that day is going to be like. God, that we would leave this place believing firmly that you've won the day and that the victory is ours through Jesus Christ. Father, help us to hear your word and believe it today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go after this. A final triumph is coming for those who believe in Christ. First, Uh, Let's recognize the hard-won victory that we have. Let's recognize this hard-won victory. And in keeping with the idea that this win has already been won and yet is still coming, it's both of those things, we can see that the hard-won victory is actually twofold. There's two parts to this victory. First, it is in the price paid once for all by God for our salvation. Notice verse 1 toward the end of it. It said, but at that time, at the end, in the last day, your people shall be delivered. Now, this is, this is Gabriel who's delivering the vision, and he's talking to Daniel, and he's talking to the Jewish people through Daniel. He's writing this for people who needed to be encouraged in their obedience to God. And by broad application to us as we read this, he's speaking to the people of God because there's elements of this that's still future for us. But at that time, at the end, at the last day, your people, the people of God, shall be delivered. Final salvation is coming for everyone, notice, whose name shall be found written in the book. Everyone whose name is written in the book. Now, that idea of a book, as soon as I read that, I went, I've heard that before. 
That's, I mean, we have that imagery happening in the New Testament several different times, seven times in the New Testament. The first time, actually, is by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.3. You can jot down that reference and look at it later. Six times in the book of Revelation, we have a reference to a book that has names in it, the names of those who are truly gods, who are the people of God. Let me show you two of those. Revelation 3.5 is the first one. Uh, the one who conquers... The triumphant one, the true believer, will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. No way we're losing this. Once your name's written in the book, once you're genuinely saved, not losing it. And I, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels, God's, I mean, Jesus is going to stand before the throne of God. And if your name is in the book, he's going to say your name to God. That's awesome. He's going to say your name to God the Father. And you're going to have the win. And then look at this then at the end of Revelation. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Talking about the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. No one's ever going to get in there. No traces of sin. But only those who are written, notice, in the Lamb's book of life. Now, in order for any name to get inside this, how do I get my name in that book? I want my name in that book. Do you want your name in there? I hope you do. But in order to get your name in there, it had to be entirely the work of Jesus Christ to get your name in there. In fact, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life because the Lamb, Jesus Christ, had to give his life as a sacrifice. The entire Old Testament system of worship was set up around the sacrifices that had to be made for the atonement of sin. And so you'd have to come. You'd have to bring a lamb. You'd have to offer that lamb on the altar as a, as a, as a, a token of your, uh, the forgiveness that God was giving to you. But all of it, the whole sacrificial system pointed down the years to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would give his life as a sacrifice once for all, bringing the entire sacrificial system to an end. It was no longer going to be necessary to bring the, the, the blood, the, the body of animals, because Jesus will have shed his blood for us. He's the Lamb of God. And the Son of God in giving his life in this way and sacrificing himself in this way. We know how this all played out. God took on human flesh. We're going to celebrate that uh, during the nativity, during Christmas in the coming weeks. Sang some of those songs this morning. He came on, he took on human flesh. He faced all the hardships and heartaches that being a human being entails. He would face all the temptations that we would face. In fact, he would face special temptations from Satan himself in the wilderness after a prolonged period of self-denial. And Satan would seek to pull him off of his mission, but he would resist. He would grow up amongst us and living our lives and facing all we face. He would agonize in the garden on the night of his betrayal. And he would sacrifice himself allowing himself to be put to open shame and crucified on the cross, his blood being shed for us on that cross. It was a hard-won victory, wasn't it? And we would do well to not minimize, not forget, not neglect the cost to Jesus Christ, our Savior, for demonstrating his love toward us in this way. That's 
the once for all. That part of it is completed and done. Jesus said it is finished. And that was Jesus reaching the finish line on salvation for us. But then I said that there was a twofold aspect to this. And the second is this hard-won victory also in the ongoing price being paid as a result of the spiritual warfare that is being engaged in right now. It's going on behind the scenes right now. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 of Daniel, we said already, is one unit, one vision. We had a kind of set up to the vision. Chapter 11, we had the vision itself. And now we have like the tail end, a little bit of the vision, and then kind of the postscript, not only on this, but on the entire book of Daniel. Back in chapter 10, though, there was this spiritual warfare going on, a glimpse behind the veil to the things that are going on in the unseen realm that you and I don't know anything about. And in chapter 10, we had Daniel was fasting and praying for three weeks, and then we find out that's the same period of time that Gabriel was trying to come to him and answer to his prayer and interpret the vision and let him know what was going on. But Gabriel was being resisted by this prince of Persia who's some kind of powerful demon. And it wasn't until Michael came and kind of like superhero angel, he comes in and helps Gabriel and kind of breaks through all of that and gets to Daniel to deliver this message. And that's all happening behind the scenes. It all sounds so incredible. But that's happening behind the scenes of the things that we can actually see. And I think we're naive if we don't think that that's going on here this morning. We get together and we open God's word and we're trying to press in to learn what this book is saying so that we could live more obediently, more conformed to his word and his kingdom and who he is and who Jesus is. And don't you think that Satan's kind of upset by that, that so many people would get together on a Sunday and want to hear God's word? He's not happy about this that we would actually gather together and we would sing these songs of worship and recite our theology and speak to our God and pray to him. Satan and his demons aren't pleased about this at all. And so behind the scenes, there's all this spiritual warfare that's going on that's trying to keep you from listening. I mean, how many of you this morning, as you're making the decision to actually come here and be a part of this, would have faced some of this kind of behind-the-scenes work? Everything's been great all week with the kids, and then all of a sudden they woke up and they're all demons this morning. You're like, that's okay. We dropped them off at Harvest Kids. We're here now, so, you know, their problem now. But you could have a whole week of peace, and then Sunday morning, all hell, literally all hell breaks loose. Or, or you and your wife, your spouse, you're getting along just fine, but somehow you decide to have an argument on the way to church. We're going to worship Jesus, and all of a sudden, this most precious of relationships, we're having a battle with each other. How do we not see that as, as the spiritual warfare that's going on behind the scenes? We're seeking to come and do a great thing. And the demons aren't happy about it. They don't want it to happen. And I just wonder how many, listen now, I wonder how many people didn't even make it here today because they lost that battle and they made the decision not to bother coming. But it's not going to go today. Satan likes it when you don't come. Because then he can play with your mind and your spirit and you haven't had this time together in God's word to recenter and refocus and remind ourselves of these truths. 
I get the feeling of not wanting to be here. I, I, I go through that every Sunday morning. I get up exceptionally early to prepare for this. And in the quietness of the house, not only does that make it easier to hear the Lord speaking, but it makes it easier to hear the evil one speaking too. And to allow all my doubts and all my fears to come crashing in, to have the evil one reminding me, who do you think you are being up there? I know the darkness of your heart. I know your sinful thoughts. I know who you really are. Why would you presume to get up there and teach God's word to God's people? You don't deserve to be up there. The battle starts early for me. The battle is raging right now in this room where there are people who are sitting here saying, this is ridiculous. I don't even know why I'm here. I wish I weren't. I don't believe this stuff. That's the spiritual warfare that, that's going on. It's, it's a hard-won victory that we're seeking to still win in the hearts and minds of those who have been entrusted to us. And for Daniel's part, Gabriel says uh, to him here in verse 1, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. This archangel will be fighting this unseen battle for Israel, for God's people, for we are God's people. And as that's raging, then we understand every convert, every person who makes a decision for Christ, every marriage that's restored, every addiction that's overcome, every time you resist the temptation to get angry and give in to that side of things and sin. All of that are victories in all of the battles that are happening in this great spiritual warfare that's taking place. And we need to recognize that hard won victory because we're still in the thick of battle. And right in the middle of verse 1 there, do you see this? There shall be a time of trouble such as never has been. That's the word that's getting delivered by Gabriel to Daniel. He's saying that, that very difficult times are coming. And unless you and I lock in what we believe now, Unless we're set on walking with Christ through everything and recognizing what this world is really like, then we will be tempted to depart. Hard days are coming and we need the resolve to continue to live for Christ. Because trouble is coming such as never has been. What's coming is worse than anything before. You think about the history of Israel. This is what's, whatever's coming is worse than Egyptian slavery. 400 years under the whip. What's coming is worse than the exile. 70 years carried off into Babylon, their city and their country leveled. What's coming is worse than what we've been reading about earlier in Daniel and Tigus Epiphanes desecrating the temple, sacrificing a pig on the altar, bringing in his idol. What's coming is worse than the Romans marching into Israel in AD 70 and burning the temple and flattening the city. What's coming is worse than the plagues that ravaged Europe. What's 
coming is worse than anything we saw in the 20th century, the most violent and destructive century in the history of humanity, the 20th century. And all these people who think we're making the world a better place, read your history books because it isn't getting better. Two devastating world wars, two devastating bombs dropped on Japanese cities, a holocaust that cost six million lives, the devastating work, the purges of Mao and Stalin that killed millions and millions and millions of their own people. And what's coming is worse than all of that. And we don't know when that time will come, but here's what we do know. Victory's already been won. The victory's already been won over all of this evil at great cost to our God and Savior. So we can rest in that and recognize that. And then, notice this next, anticipate Anticipate the life-giving resurrection. Now what we see next, this next verse, might be the most underrated verse in the entire Old Testament. You're going to see why I say that in a moment. But let me read it again. Most people don't even realize that this verse is here, and yet it's so core to what we believe. Verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust, talking just about people who've died, okay? many of those who sleep in the dust, You know, we say about that at funerals, right? The committal words are ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you know, from the ground we came to ground we return, all of that. So those who sleep in the dust of the earth, notice they shall awake. They shall awake. That's resurrection. In other words, people who have died are going to be resurrected. I'll tell you why this is so underrated in a moment. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And here's why this is so important. This is one of only two places in the entire Old Testament where the resurrection is mentioned. And this is the more specific of the two. The other one is Isaiah 26, verse 19. If you are taking notes, Isaiah 26, 19, you can check that out later. But this one is more specific because it actually references the double resurrection of both Uh, the living and the dead of both the believers and the unbelievers, both of these mentioned. This is the most specific reference to the resurrection in the entire Old Testament. And why that's so important is because the resurrection is the linchpin of everything that we believe, isn't it? The lynch, it's the linchpin of everything. The, the resurrection is absolutely everything. Paul said that without it, without the resurrection, we have nothing. Without the resurrection, what we're doing here today is a, is a great big zero. One of the uh, clearest passages on the resurrection is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm just going to excerpt out a few phrases from verses 14 through 19 here. He, this is what Paul writes. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Preaching's meaningless. It's useless. It's, it's stupid. It's why are we even doing this? Your faith is in vain. This thing that you're believing in, if there's no resurrection, literally, why are you even here? There's a lot of other things you could do with your Sunday. Why are you even bothering to be here if there's no resurrection? That's what Paul's saying. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins, so there's no solution for that without the resurrection, then those also who have fallen asleep, same imagery as Daniel chapter 12, Those who have died in Christ, 
They've just perished. Just dead. There's nothing after it. I mean, this is Nietzsche. This is, this is like nothingness. This, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. How can you people be so pathetic as to get together and call yourself the church if you don't believe in the resurrection? It doesn't even make sense. This is Paul's argument. Why are we even here? Why are we even doing this? Now, Jesus was raised from the dead, amen? And so we have the win. And and we await the resurrection from the dead on the last day. And Daniel was given this prophecy, in fact, to encourage him toward the end of his life. And then to pass this message on to the Jewish people who were making their way back from exile to rebuild their country. Rebuild the temple. Rebuild the worship of God. Because they were off doing an extremely hard thing. And seeking to live for their God in the here and now while awaiting eternity. That's you. You and I are trying to do a hard thing too. We're trying to live our lives. That's a hard thing. On its face, just living is hard. Amen? And God wants us to be encouraged. And he's delivering a word to us as well. I was so uh, helped through this series by um, a book by John C. Lennox. And he said this. Daniel was a man who, though he lived in this world, lived for another world that would outlast this one. A supernatural realm that from time to time had unmistakably manifested itself to him and his friends. God had intervened to protect their witness, save their lives, and revealed to them things to come with such power and precision that even pagan kings could not fail to recognize the invasion of the supernatural. Now, if I could play off of that and think about us for a second, because we're not supposed to be living for this world. As the followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be living for another world, for that other world, for eternity. And so if I could play off it and say that we, we too must live for another world that will outlast this one. We need to stop spending so much time investing in this putting our hours and our energy and our financial resources into things that are, that are going to disappear in the end. We must live for another world that will outlast this one, a supernatural one that from time to time will unmistakably manifest itself to us with God intervening to protect our witness and to save our lives and to reveal to us what is to come so that no one around us could fail to recognize the invasion of the supernatural in our lives. That's what I want. I want the people around me to see my life and to go, there's something supernatural happening in that guy's life. I want people who you work with and you live around in your families, in your workplaces. I want them to look at you and to see the supernatural in you. We want God to show up in an unbelievable way. 
manifesting himself to this world, an invasion of the supernatural in our lives. And it all focuses on a belief in the resurrection. The Apostle Paul, again, who told us so much about the resurrection, but he put, he put all his chips in, okay? He's sitting at the table and he pushed all his chips into the middle on the resurrection. It was everything to him. And he said in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. For Paul, this was the only thing It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead that was his. The once for all win that Jesus earned and the ongoing battle that we're all facing to get to that day. And when we get there, back to Daniel 12 now, verse 3. Those who are wise, those who are saved, shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those, those who turn many to righteousness... Those who are sharing what Christ is doing in their life. Those who are saying to people, come and see. Those who are telling their story of coming to faith in Christ. Those who are teaching the word of God to those who don't know it. Those who are preaching the word of God. Those who are singing with all they have of the praises of our God. Those who are turning many to righteousness. They're like the stars. Forever and ever. Life like no other is ahead for us. And Daniel was told that that this is the final word. This is what's going down. You can hang your hat on this. It's all set and sealed. Verse 4, you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. This, is, this, is, this is, wasn't like shut it up and don't tell anybody. Uh, this was like shut it up because this is the complete revelation. This is the end of the vision that I'm giving to you. I'm going to seal it now. I'm authenticating it and authorizing it until the time of the end. And in contrast, many, notice this in verse 4 toward the end, many shall run to and fro and, shall, and knowledge shall increase. In other words, people are going to look for other ways and they're going to pursue other philosophies and this is too hard and I can't believe in a resurrection and I don't believe in the supernatural. I'm going to believe this instead and I have this philosophy of life and there's going to be so much of that. And yet Jesus holds out for us his own resurrection and the promise of eternity. That's secured for those, he says here, for those who are wise. So are you wise? Are you anticipating the life-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ? And if yes, then rest in God's never-failing promise. You can rest in his never-failing promise. In verses 5 through 9, we actually cycle back to the early part of the account in in chapter 10 and the vision that Daniel has of the pre-incarnate Christ. In verse 6, it says here, chapter 12, verse 6, that we are introduced again to the man clothed in linen. We saw him earlier in the vision. He's back again here. He's standing over the river. This is none other than Jesus. This is a pre-incarnate, pre, we could say it this way, a pre-Christmas appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. What theologians call a Christophany. 
And he's coming to deliver parts of the vision himself. And he's joined here, verse 5, by two angelic beings. I don't know if this is Michael and Gabriel. I'm not sure that really works with everything that says here. But they're standing on each bank of the stream. And the all-important question is asked by, the text tells us, someone, someone, Daniel doesn't know who, someone asks a question. And I love that it's kind of left kind of generic because this is a room full of someones, correct? Is everybody here a someone? You all someones? So someone asked a question, and the question is, how long? I mean, in other words, when's this all going to go down? This is in verse 6. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And we're all all wondering the same thing. Some of you were so excited when I said I was going to preach the book of Daniel. Because you were like, he's going to tell us. He's going to tell us when Jesus is coming back. He's going to tell us, I love the apocalyptic, can't wait for the future things. He's going to interpret the prophecies. He's going to lock it all down. He's going to tell us who exactly is what and what countries and when this is all going to go down. And we're almost there. And of course I didn't. To the disappointment, I'm sure, of some. But you see, we're, we're, we're asking this question. How long is it going to be? When's this all going to take place? And Jesus gives this, this, he answers it. He gives this cryptic answer. We heard this earlier in the book, in fact, verse 7, that it's going to happen after a time, times, and half a time. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for clearing that up for us. I find that super helpful. And Daniel confesses just like we are right now because no one knows what that means. And Daniel confesses just like we do. Verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. How many people are with Daniel right now? Yep, totally don't get it. Time, times, half a time, no clue. So Daniel asks a follow-up question. Notice in verse 8, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Okay, so I get that you're not going to tell me the time that it's going to happen, but, but kind of how's it going to play out? What's the end of this all going to look, look like? And Jesus, I don't know, again, this is pre-incarnate, so it's before the Gospels. And I don't know if Jesus was like warming up here for how he was going to answer questions or not answer questions in the Gospel, because he doesn't answer this one. It just seems like it's often that way with Jesus, that he kind of ignores the question and says instead what he wants to say. That's okay, right, when Jesus does that, because, you know, I mean, he's Jesus. So he can really do that. And and so here's what he says. So Daniel says, what shall be the outcome of these things? And, And Jesus says to him, go your way, Daniel. Get on with your life. We'll talk about that in a moment. Get on with your life. For the words are shut up. I already told you this. Okay, this is the whole vision I'm giving you. And it's sealed until the time of the end. And the Lord's intention here is for us to rest. Not in knowing the details. But to rest in the promise. That he's got it all under control. Just rest in that. And don't worry about how it's going to play out. And the question for us is, will we trust in his plan, even if we don't know the details? Even if we don't have all the information we'd like to have? Will we rest in this triumph that God has given to us? Will we be okay with the fact that it fits within this phrase that we used earlier in the series, the now but not yet framework of our theology? In other words, the victory is won, but it's still coming. It's now but not yet. While we have the win, we've not yet fully claimed it. Life continues to be hard. Temptations and trials continue to beset us. That's why the never-failing promise of God is so critical. His provenness is the basis. His provenness, listen, 
His provenness is the basis for our faith. He's going to come through. And we can continue to face whatever hard things come our way because he's going to come through for us. That's the message we saw throughout the book of Daniel. Very first chapter, these young men are in Babylon. They're facing this whole thing with the king's menu and, and, and the food that was put in front of them. They face the first test and they, they pass it because God was faithful to them. Nebuchadnezzar receives this dream. He's not going to tell anybody the dream. All the wise men and advisors are all going to be killed because no one can come up with a dream. And God gives Daniel the dream. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they refuse to bow before the statue. They're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And Jesus goes right in there with them and rescues them. Belshazzar, the writing on the wall. Daniel refusing to pray to Darius, ending up in the lion's den. Every time God shows up, every time the supernatural descends. And God is faithful. And because God proved himself over and over and over again, that's the thing we rest in. God's going to come through because God always comes through. We can rest in that. Rest in his never-failing promise. And this all leaves us with a decision. Choose your eternity-defining destiny. Like many other places in the Bible, we see a dividing of people happening here. Unbelievers from believers, sheep from goats, and other parts of the Scripture. Lost from found. Verse 10, it's the wicked from the wise. They're being divided. There's a difference between these two kinds of people, between those who believe and those who don't believe. This is hard for us. I mean, these are the sections of the scripture we don't particularly like. We're not necessarily fond of the idea of separation from loved ones who never bent the knee, never gave their life to Christ, and who died without him. We don't like thinking about that. I don't like thinking about it. We don't like the idea of eternal torment for unbelievers. We prefer to sanitize the word and make the gospel more palatable to the sensitive souls of the 21st century who find these things offensive. Met a, a person in Guest Central last week after the service, and they thought the service was wonderful, and thought the message was wonderful, and thought the, the, the worship was very inspiring, and loved it all. I've, I've spent my life, the person said, going to all different churches and exploring all different religions, and I love your church as it fits into all the other ones in this pantheon of belief, and everybody's okay. And we're all going to get there in the end. But listen, if this, if this, listen, if this book is our authority, and I'm not going to apologize to anyone for saying that it's the authority in my life, that in all matters of faith and practice, this book governs my life, that it is the authority in my life. I'm not apologizing for that at all. Many people think that I'm out of it, that I'm not contemporary enough, that I'm living in the past because I believe in the authority of this book. But the reality is that I haven't found any alternatives to this. 
that the world offers me actually nothing compared to what the Word of God says. So if I'm under the authority of this book, then I have to embrace the uncomfortable truth that God sees people in two different ways, to use the Daniel 12 imagery as wicked or wise. And by that he means saved or unsaved. We break it down. Those who are wise have faith in their God, are trusting Him and following His ways. This chapter is pointing to our main, the main statement from our passage that we've looked at here, that final triumph is coming for those who believe in Christ. The triumph isn't available to those who don't believe in Christ. Verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Great reward and great blessing awaits those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and are following Him. There's so much awesomeness ahead for those who love and serve and follow Jesus. But for those who do not, the wicked, there's nothing. And Survivor, if you, if you watch Survivor, there's reward challenges. And, and, and the ones who win the reward, they get to go off and enjoy that reward. And then Jeff will always turn to the ones who didn't win the reward challenge. And he'll say, I got nothing for you. Got nothing for you. For those who have rejected Jesus Christ, who have not put their faith in, like, I've got nothing for you. In fact, I would just say this. It's likely there are people in this room who don't know Jesus Christ. I'm just saying, just, if, if you've rejected him and you, you have no intention on following him, then I'm going to give you some counsel. Go out and live your life to the full now. Seize everything you possibly can out of this life because this is all you have. Go after it with gusto. And don't waste your time here. There's nothing for you beyond this life. So many people are focused on the now, ignoring the reality of what's coming and rejecting Jesus, rejecting an eternity filled with indescribably good things. But you have chosen your eternity-defining destiny. Now, I don't want to leave any doubt as to who I'm talking about here and who might be included in this. Some are saved and some are not. You do not stumble into salvation and you cannot inherit it from your parents. Let's be clear about that. You are not automatically a Christian because you were born into a pseudo-Christian Western nation. You have not always believed, though I hear people saying that, well, you know, I've just always believed. No, you have not. What you've always been is a sinner. You have always sinned. But believing comes at a point in time when you recognize you're a sinner and you turn your life over to Jesus Christ. And in that moment, you're saved. Prior to that, You were not. You may have known about God. You may have been raised in an atmosphere where God was spoken of, but you have not always believed. And the notion of God saving everyone in the end, which so many people are counting on, I just just feel like God's going to let everybody in at the end. It's so foreign to what the Bible actually teaches that it doesn't even really require much of a response. You cannot earn a relationship with God. You cannot be good enough. 
You cannot work hard enough. You cannot give enough. Religious rites and rituals will not save you. If you were baptized as an infant, this is what happened. Your head got wet. That's it. And if you were baptized as a youth or an adult by full immersion, then your whole body got wet. That's it. But baptism didn't save you. Baptism doesn't save. Rites and rituals do not save. They don't move the salvation needle at all. And if you're sitting here and listening to me right now, or you're watching this on video, if you have not personally, from the heart, acknowledged that you are a sinner in need of saving, and put your faith and trust entirely in Jesus Christ to do that, believing in the power of the resurrection to give you new life, if you have not done that, then listen, you are not saved. You can sit here week after week and you can take it all in. You can sing the songs. You can participate. You can serve in this church. But if you have not personally declared your allegiance to Jesus Christ, then you have no claim on the triumph that we're talking about here. The stakes are too high for me not to say it. According to verse 10, there are only two kinds of people. The wise saved and the wicked those who are unsaved you choose your eternity defining destiny what have you chosen what will you choose and for the wise one final thing Jesus says get on with your God ordained life the last couple of verses are verses 11 and 12 Jesus goes through a few more numbers, ensuring there's no possible way we can properly do the math and make conclusions. Well, beyond the fact that at a very specific, here's what the numbers tell us, at a very specific, predetermined, God-ordained time, it's going to happen. That's all we know. At a perfect time, it's going to happen. The triumph is assured. So no sense fretting about it or trying to figure it all out. Instead, we persevere That's what we looked at last week in chapter 11. We persevere, verse 12, the first part. Blessed is he who waits and arrives, who gets to the end trusting that God is in control. And that theme has repeated itself throughout Daniel, the knowledge that God is sovereign. He's in control of all of it, which allows me now to simply live my life for him, to get on with my life. In fact, that's exactly what Daniel is told here by Jesus. Go your way till the end. He's being told to get on with his life. Whatever else is going on around you or in your life in a personal sense or in a global sense, whatever it is, it's of little consequence in the greater narrative of what God is trying to do. And Jesus is saying to you and to me, as he said to Daniel, you shall rest. You're going to find that rest and you shall stand at the appointed time. In other words, God's so in control of this that he's already appointed a time for you to enter into eternity. And he's already appointed a place for you. We go to the funerals and we hear John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And, and when I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will bring you to myself that where I am, you may be also. At the allotted time, when God works it all out, at the end of the days. And so the message of Daniel is be faithful. Don't compromise. Live for God. Shine the light of the gospel. Be resolved. Live for Christ. Even if no one else is.